You should have started with Lotus Notes. That's what you should have started. <laughs> oh, man. You could restore. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. And I have with me my YouTube video creation consultant, Persona Maliandi. How's it going, Persona? Good, Curtis. Wow, what did I do to get the new moniker? Well, you, know, you know, you've been advising me on my creation of my new YouTube channel, my new my new non, non-technical YouTube channel. It You've is been- very interesting, I have to say. After your barbecue road trip and <laughs> watching each of those videos, like I would wait till night because that's when we'd publish them. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I got to watch Curtis's video. And I'd be lying in bed watching Curtis's video and being like, I think I want some barbecue now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I that was a lot of fun. I mean, we did uh, what, like uh, 15 barbecue joints in the span of 11 days. Um, <laughs> and then, and then came home and just sat in a coma. <laughs> um, and we had salad every night, but there was, there were, there were lots of, uh, things in terms of creating, you know, so I, I really, I, I, I plan to create a channel just for doing those sorts of things. Right. Cause people go, Oh, what's your channel? And I'm like, WC Preston, you know, that's not really <laughs> a channel. Right? I need a channel like Curtis eats barbecue or. I don't know. Well, hopefully Something. you're not only eating barbecue on no, this channel. No, no, I'm not going to only eat barbecue. <laughs> I'm going to yeah, it's going to be it's going to be like have, have you seen that the the channel Somebody Feed Phil? No, I that? have not. There's nope. a show called Somebody Feed Phil and it's and it's this guy. He's this goofy dude. He's a really nice guy, but he's kind of goofy looking a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he goes and he's really kind of charming and he goes around the world and he eats stuff. It's basically like a, a, a commercial version of, of what I plan to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he has like he actually has a film crew and stuff, and he goes around and mm. eats stuff around the world. And he just you know people feed him. Right. You have so a film crew. Come on. I, I have a film wife. crew. I have a single crew of of one. Um, she's very helpful. Um, but uh, yeah, so so yeah, I'm looking forward to. But but for those people, I think if you want to go see Curtis's food reviews from his barbecue trip, they should go watch your YouTube channel. Yeah, it's it is right now. It is just WC Preston if you YouTube.com slash WC Preston. And I did a a I think I did a total of 12 videos uh, and I'm going to do a final video. I keep forgetting I got to do that uh, mm. sort of a, an overall thoughts of my barbecue trip. It was a lot of fun, and um, we're gonna we're actually gonna do a uh, didn't we podcast. talk about we're gonna yeah. we're gonna do a, sep- a a bonus podcast where where we just we just talk about barbecue for not data protection just barbecue yeah just barbecue no backups <laughs> just beef yeah. um, <laughs> that's so, your title um, well and pork and yeah yeah, yeah. there you go um, but uh, we have a guest that is probably wondering what in the heck we're talking about <laughs> and. Um, so we, we want to bring him on. I learned today that he's actually been in the industry the exact amount of time that I have. Uh, he which joined, is a first, I think. Which is a first. We, uh, we've had close. We've had more. We've had a little bit less. But this is the first time where uh, the, the year he went in the storage industry, 1993, the same as myself. He has been uh, in, in and out of a whole bunch of storage companies that, that, you know, all, you know, all of which I recognize, 
you know, like NetApp and Veritas and BMC and and this this other small company called EMC. And now for the last uh, four and a half years, he's been the VP of products over here at Haiku. Welcome to the podcast, Subaya Sundaram. How's it going? Very good, Curtis. Thank you very much for the kind introduction and uh, nice to meet you again, uh, Prasanna. Yeah, been a long time. I know we used to work together at NetApp and EMC, and it's good to see a friendly face. Absolutely. <laughs> I think he just said that my face is not friendly. I'm not, I'm <laughs> no. I'm not sure what that no. means. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm so used to talking to you all the time, Curtis. Yeah, yeah. I know you yeah. Bay Area people stick together. <laughs> I know. How's it going? Hey, Sobaya isn't in the Bay Area, by the way. Oh, he's not? I, I used to be in the Bay Area for a long time, and I moved to the East Coast. I'm one of the oddballs who move from uh, west to the east. I live in Boston now. Boston? Wow. Yes. I've, I've, I've worked in Boston. I've worked for a Boston company. Uh, it's headquartered up in Framingham. But um, And that's another... Boston is another sort of storage-centric world, right? Because right? EMC was yep. up there. I know Exagrid's up there. Sepaton used to be up there. Ecologic. Yep. And Iron Mountain, which is storage adjacent, uh, they're headquartered in downtown Boston. Uh, Boston's a good good place. San Diego has had some, uh, which which is where I live, has some storage uh, remnants in it as well. Uh, the, the the one the longest running one I remember. Do you remember a company called Saint Bernard? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The the open file manager yes. thing for that was that was our first big uh, claim to fame, but that didn't go anywhere. We had Overland <laughs> Overland Data. Uh, I think they're still. I'm not sure where they are, business-wise, but they're 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 still around. Um, and I'm trying to think. There's other some other companies, but I think between the three of us, we've got the. Uh, I think it's pretty much every single storage company, except I think all of the ones in Israel. I think those are the ones we're missing right now. Well, but are there are there any storage companies in Israel? <laughs> I'm kidding. I kid. I kid. There was a backup company from France for a while. That's right. Mm. Yeah, Quadratech yeah. was the. Mm. I we yeah. always called him Quadrate, you know, because <laughs> it, it's French, you know. French. Anyway, <laughs> as a French joke. Subaya, I have you know I've known about Haiku for a long time. The listeners don't, you know. I, I, I generally when we have somebody on from a vendor, we sort of start from from the beginning. They don't. They might not know anything about you, yep. and I know I first came to know you as the the first company, uh, certainly at, at the time, the only company that was dedicated to backing up uh, Nutanix and specifically Nutanix AHV. But I know that you've spread uh, your wings uh, a lot farther than that these days. But let's start there. Let's start, so the company, how, so you've been there four and a half years. Yes. How long has the company been around? That's pretty much uh, the age of the company. I joined the company very okay. early on. Uh, with okay. Haiku, and we just to uh, build on what you were saying, Curtis, is that we are a multi-cloud data protection company. But if you go back to our history, as what did we do? We started out with starting with just Nutanix, and within Nutanix, just starting with AHV. And a lot of people thought, "Oh my God, just Nutanix and AHV!" Because when we bet on Nutanix at that time, Nutanix had only about twenty-five hundred customers using AHV. I was one of those people going, you're really going to build a whole business around just <laughs> AHV? Good luck with that. Exactly. That's what it, uh, most people said. Like, really, I hope you guys have a better plan than that. So uh, the good thing is that I think our plan was uh, we started with AHV, then we built 
uh, all of uh, VMware on Nutanix, then extended it to all of VMware and physical and all the enterprise. As we were doing the enterprise, one of the things we were we were looking at saying we wanted to go to the cloud because that's naturally the thing we have been thinking about right from the get-go. When we looked at it then, we were fortunate enough that Google reached out and said, hey, you built a great solution for Nutanix, purpose-built for Nutanix. Why don't you guys do something similar for Google? That's what the whole idea was. So we started building for Google. Unlike many other vendors, like which you guys know very well, most other people, when they think in terms of cloud, they think in terms of taking their on-prem infrastructure, running it on the cloud and saying, now we are cloud ready. And we said like, ah, oh, that's <laughs> one way, but there's a better way to do it, right? Because cloud has its cloud characteristics. Both of you guys are experts in this thing, I'm telling you guys. But, but the thing is that we built, one of the things when we decided to build for Google, we said we will take the engineering expensive route of building a brand new solution ground up for Google, which understands the cloud characteristics completely. That's what we actually mm-hmm. did. So then we built for Google and then extended it to Azure and O365 and so on. Um, when you say you built a solution for Google, you mean you built a solution to back up Google? That's right. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great clarification. All right. Yeah, also that it, you built it on Google, I'm assuming, yes. right? But you totally. built it in order yeah. to back up uh, Google. Data on Google. You're absolutely right. So yes, gotcha. it, is, it okay. is a service on Google for backing up the data on Google. And it's sold in okay. the marketplace. And it's, and it's probably one of the first, because at the time, I don't think there were many data protection solutions built on top of Google, correct? You're absolutely right. For protecting Google. Yeah, it's, it's the first uh, SaaS completely offered in the marketplace. It's like any other service, and truly you can go to the marketplace, subscribe, and so on. So that's what we did for Google. And then we, we did the same thing for Azure, because the next thing is logically Azure. You could imagine <laughs> other things coming as part as you go through. So that's, that's something we did. So as we were building these things, one of the things which actually happened for us was that customers looked at the solution because we were talking to a lot of these cloud customers. They said, you know, we love the data protection, but you know, we have one more problem. We said, what's the problem? They said, we are still 98% in moving, still moving the data to cloud because we still don't have everything on the cloud. So can you help us with the migration? Because we love the simplicity. Can you do the same thing there? So we built the migration. And when we did one way, they said, why can't you come the other way around? So we made it into a DR. So of course. <laughs> so that's what happened. So we, and the thing is that we built all these individual services, and now we built the cross-cloud mobility between them. And one of the things which, like, I remember one of our largest customers, one of our large customers who actually has all these multi-cloud, he told me, "So I like all this purpose-built, but you know, you got to realize, I'm a large enterprise. I have multiple of these clouds. How do you expect me to manage?" He said, "We definitely hear you." Uh, Andy and we have built a multi-cloud data protection. That's what uh, Haiku Protege is, which allows you to do cross-cloud. Allow you to guess gives you the best experience in every cloud you are. But the whole idea is that you should be able to manage the multiple clouds from a single plane of glass, and that's what we have with Haiku Protege. And so today you support uh, Google and Azure, and not yet other vendors, but I'm sure you have your eyes on other vendors. That is absolutely right. So we actually have... I mean, you'd be... Yeah. <laughs> we have the on- It'd be like not looking at VMware, you know? <laughs> so we do actually support the VMware public, VMware clouds, as you can imagine, but there are other, right. other clouds, as you alluded to. Yes, it will be there. Right. Other <laughs> clouds. You can't even say their name. <laughs> 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 we say their name all the time. 
Uh, speaking of which, uh, throw out our, our, our disclaimer. Uh, I do work for, uh, Druva and persona works for zoom. Neither of us are representing our companies. These are our opinions and, uh, (laughs) make sure to, uh, rate our podcast. If you like us, if you don't like us and don't bother, uh, (laughs) go to rate this podcast.com slash restore. And also if, you know, if you're in this space, if you would like to talk about, your backups, your replication, your, you know, your uh, migration, your security, networking, you know, any, anything that we can somehow relate back to, to, you know, keeping data safe ransomware. We love to talk about ransomware. I mean, okay. like in a, in a good way, not a, not a bad way. <laughs> um, and um, so uh, make sure to, uh, you know, drop me a note. I'm, I'm uh, W Curtis Preston at Gmail, or you can uh, just send me a, uh, I, I accept DMs from anybody on Twitter. So that's uh, at WC Preston. So, um, all right. So let's talk. Let's start with. Um, so it's interesting, uh, Subaya, you, your, a comment just a little bit on your, your, the business model that I'm inferring from your, uh, what you've done in the past four and a half years. Your, your plan seems to be, we're going to do the thing that nobody else is doing. <laughs> yes. Does that seem, does that seem fair? Because yes. everybody, everybody did Google, you know, everybody did Google last. Yes. They did AHV last. You said, we're going to do, we're going to do what they're doing last. We're going to do it first. And that gives you like a, a first mover advantage in that, in that field. That seem fair. And I would add to that, Curtis, I think, even when other vendors did AHV, and so maybe you can comment yeah. on this, but I know at least looking at Haiku in the past, your AHV support is much better than what a lot of other vendors kind of check the box to provide a solution for their customers. That's a great point. Both of you, I'll probably allude uh, to uh, cover both of them. One of the things is that um, many of them, many of the uh, listeners probably are familiar with a book called Blue Ocean Strategy. There was a thing around Blue Ocean strategy. I'm sure all of you guys have looked at Blue Ocean and Red Ocean and so on. And when we did, uh, uh, Curtis, to your point, we said we will do sometimes counterintuitive. People think we're stupid, but hopefully not. We have proven that. <laughs> we have, we have I, hope it, I hope I didn't mean that I was no, implying no, no. that. I'm just, it's a clear strategy to me that you're like, we're going to do, you know, we're going to enter the field first here. Absolutely. No, it's very true because I mean the good thing is that we have been fortunate that we have about twenty five hundred customers, uh, twenty five hundred plus customers right now in about seventy five plus countries. Uh, what happened was like so we built the purpose built for us. we took some of these different uh, counterintuitive approaches to some of the platforms. That's what we did. And as Prasanna said, when we were entering, we wanted to make sure the reason we build as my uh, uh, CEO Simon Taylor likes to call it. For every, uh, we build different engines, a single car, which is Haiku Protege, but with lots of engines, one for like mountain climbing, one for your speed racing, and one for your street drive and all that stuff. It's the same thing here. Every cloud is different. It has its own unique characteristic. And as Prasanna mentioned, we try to build, try to take advantage of the best of capabilities in each one of the clouds. And that's one of the reasons when we built for AHP, we were the best in integration. Same thing with Google and Azure or something. That's, that's our, been our philosophy. And so far, it's worked out well. And as we expanded more engineering effort, but I think from a customer experience perspective, it's made them so much more valuable. That's been beneficial. I was going to ask. Um, so I know that 
you always want to take advantage of because each cloud or each uh, workload has its own characteristics and its own ability or uh, differentiation. But from a user perspective, how do you kind of keep things consistent? Because that sometimes becomes very difficult, right? Where maybe in VMware, you might be, have the capability to do like Appleware backups versus in some other cloud, maybe that capability isn't even possible. That's a great question, Prasanna. So essentially what happens is that when we talk about the concept of purpose build, the reason when we, as, as I said, engine for every cloud and building into one car, what we think about it is like, for example, when you're going speed racing, you are in the speed racing mode. And when you are <laughs> street driving, you're a street driving mode, right? Typically in a mode. So yeah. the reason is that the way we think of it is when you're in a particular cloud, predominantly if you look at it, when you're operating on a cloud, you're within the cloud. You don't, really, don't keep flipping back and forth unless you're in a migration or something like that. Yeah. So what we do is that when you're in a particular cloud, we try to make sure to use the same terminology as the particular cloud take advantage of the functionality in the particular cloud and things like that. So it becomes, for, and for example, even in the UI, we try to place things so that the customer is intuitive because there are times I remember when we were demoing to a customer, the customer will say, for example, Google, he'll say, hey, can you go to the top left? I said, what do you need that? Oh, because I want to see all the projects. The reason is, the reason we didn't even teach that's what they're the product. Reason, that's where Google always has the top left. Okay, so simple things. But it makes it so easy for the customer to understand you. Mm. That's that's been very very helpful. Interesting. So, um, so I've got a, a more basic question. Yeah. You so Haiku. Well, first off, let's talk about the name because it's a unique name, <laughs> and and it's it's an allusion to obviously the the traditional yeah. word Haiku, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what what what's the, the I, and I remember there being. As I recall, yes. wasn't there or isn't there a haiku for haiku? <laughs> Absolutely, we do have haiku for haiku. You're right. <laughs> Actually, uh, as for people who are not familiar with it, as uh, Curtis uh, alluded to, there was a Japanese poetry thing called haiku, and it is very strict. It can be only 17 syllables, and uh, you have to have it has to have deep meaning in a very short thing. The whole idea people like uh, haikus are because they are very elegant, but have a lot of meaning in it. The idea when we, uh, that was Simon's idea of coming up with a name for the play on words there. The reason is that Haiku, the product, H-Y-C-U, the product, looks very simple and easy, but it's supposed to be, that's why we call it intelligent simplicity, because it is simple, but doesn't mean it's a dumbed-down simplicity, because you're trying to abstract everything and make it simple for the user. That's why the Haiku thing. There's also the other one right now, we use the hybrid cloud, cloud uptime, because it's most customers are hybrid cloud. That's what happened, but our original intention was the simplicity and intelligence built in, and that's what the haiku is. Right, intelligence, simplicity—that's a whole lot better than stupid complexity, um, <laughs> <laughs> which we, we've all seen a lot in other products. What I remember about Haiku was that it was a, you know, a software product that uh, I would load on, you know, I would install on my favorite backup server. Does it? Is it? Windows, Linux, is it the original product? That's a great question. Uh, Me- Curtis, I mean, the thing is, it's a completely uh, the virtual appliance. Uh, Linux is based on the virtual Linux. It's a virtual appliance. That's what we originally okay. delivered. And it could be run on a VMware or uh, Nutanix, whichever infrastructure customer actually has, and to manage that infrastructure. That's how it's done. So that's, that, that's sort of the original product. Um, and then now, how, how is the product offered now? 
great question. Now it's a completely fully managed service with all the public clouds. It's a managed service. You can actually go to our any of the marketplaces uh, and you can just subscribe right there. And every customer gets a dedicated instance. We Haiku fully manages it. It's part of the service for the customer. But it's a true SaaS, like the way many of you guys are familiar with. Uh, unlike a lot of the other guys who say SaaS and they give you an AMI image. It's like, hmm, AMI <laughs> image and SaaS doesn't connect the dots. But, <laughs> but in our case, as you guys know, it is truly a SaaS offering, managed, monitored, upgraded, now 24 by 7, all that stuff there. And But the good thing is that every customer's data is segmented. Seg- we don't we don't own the customer data. Customer owns the data all the time. All we provide is the data protection service. We move the data, all that stuff for the customer, but the data is stored as in the customer's projects, and that's what we do. So, the so where like where exactly is this data being stored? So stored is uh, the data in the on-prem world. The customer can choose any of the classic uh, iSCSI, NFS, and uh, SMB, okay. or any of the classic ones. Or they can choose mm-hmm. a public cloud from on-prem. In the in the public cloud, just to protect the customer from egress cost, we try to keep the data in the public cloud itself, just in a different region, uh, so that the customer right. doesn't have to pay the egress cost. Do you also do like different region, different account, or? Uh, that's a great question. Yes, uh, person. So we do actually, as you guys well know, you talked about ransomware earlier uh, because of ransomware, as well as bad actors within the company. Customer would want to isolate the data, backup data from the production systems and things like that. So absolutely, we try, we strongly encourage customer and by default, Haiku puts the data in a separate uh, project, even so that it's isolated from the production stuff that way. And it's from a different service account so that the customer doesn't accidentally, people bad actors <laughs> don't accidentally delete stuff. So. Yeah. And is it being stored in object or in block? Uh, that's a good question. So we, we store in the object. And we automatically find the lowest cost storage tier the customer actually needs. Because as you guys imagine, based on the policy the customer chooses, because most customers, when they come into the business, they say, oh, this is this is 30-day good enough, this is 90 days, this is two years, 10 years, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Based on what the customer chose from a policy setting, Haiku automatically creates the right bucket in the right class of storage and then stores it for the customer. That said, a customer can always overwrite and do what they want. But the thing is, by default, we automatically chose the lowest tier which matches the requirement. Because as you guys know, in the cloud, they have the standard, the near line, off, uh, right. cold line, all the archive. Cold we line. Do, we automatically yep. pick the right place. And by the way, one thing I do remember about uh, Google Cloud uh, storage versus the competitors, uh, and tell me if this is still the case. One of the things I really liked about its object offering was that the different tiers, they all had the same access time. Yes. Uh, but you just paid differently based on how you used them. Absolutely. Which is obviously not the case in AWS. And I'm pretty sure it's not the case in, in Azure, yeah. where, you know, if you put something in Glacier Deep Archive, you better hope you don't need it back anytime soon, <laughs> right? You're not going to want to restore directly from That's Glacier right. Deep Archive because you're going to be there for a while. Whereas with Google, Google's like, oh, we'll give it back to you as fast as you want. You're just going to pay dearly for it if you ever use it. That's right. Um, that's right? right. And so that's, point, so that's a nice marriage of, for you. Absolutely. And that's one of the things for backup world. It's, it's generally a good thing for customers because very rarely do you always get all your data, right? It's a small business. Data right, data. So, right. That's exactly, you're right. I mean, that's that helped us quite a bit. 
And I think that's uh, for the customer too, it keeps the cost really low because right from the day one, you put in the right tier up front. Yeah. And I like the fact that you guys automatically do that even while allowing the customer to override it because going back to your thing about intelligently managing simply and intelligently managing your data, right? Yes. By automatically figuring it out, you don't have the customer have to think, oh, where does this data need to go? What tier is it at? When a new tier comes out, what do I do? All the rest of that. So just curious, what what about a given policy would make you, the vendor, think that a cheaper tier would be more appropriate? Because uh, just because I'm going to keep my data for five years doesn't necessarily mean I don't want my recent data back quickly. Well, again, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm applying AWS logic. So, you know, help me, help me understand. How, how do you figure out? But even there, Curtis, even if you put it on a, even if the time to restore your data is still the same, right? The access time, right. there's still the cost difference, right? Because doing retrievals on, from that lower cost tier storage is actually much higher. Right, even right. Even though so, your access yeah. times are the same. So it, it leads to increased cost. So you need to be smart. The reasoning's different, right? But yeah, yeah that makes sense. So yeah, so I go back to my question, yeah. which I now which I now believe <laughs> is still an intelligent question. Absolutely. So what, what if you saw something in a policy, what would make you think, oh, this policy is more appropriate for uh, one of the cheaper tiers? That's a great, that's a great question now, Curtis. Uh, I mean, the thing is, the way we end up doing it is that initially it's purely based on the uh, how long the retention period, right? That's the first step we end up doing for the customer. Then once we start seeing, if we start seeing the recovery patterns or the access patterns change, then we tell the customer saying, hey, this is what we're doing. Do you want us to change? Because at some point, there is only so much you could do. At the time of st- at the start, you don't know much about it. So we do that. And then we can, the customer can tweak it as we go. Uh, again, let me make sure I understand. You're yeah. saying if, if somebody says my retention period is seven years, you're going to yeah. go, you know what? That's makes it, that makes a great uh, uh, candidate for the archive tier. Yeah. But then you see them restoring files every three days. Exactly. And, and there's a lot of files. And you're like, you know, hmm, maybe you don't yeah, want it on the well. deep tier. Yes, absolutely. Okay, okay. And, and again, I remember looking at Google when you migrate from one to the other, that migration is instant, uh, instantaneous, like, yeah. right? Uh, and That's and right. your your UID yeah. doesn't change. It's exactly. It, it's, it's the the Google Google storage is is a very interesting, <laughs> very different world than the totally. other the other vendors. Totally. Druva does things a little bit different, right? Uh, which is like you know we put it we put everything in the main tier, yeah, and then we move older data automatically okay. out to the the archive tier yeah. have you have you ever thought of doing anything like that that's that's a that's a good point so we do actually offer the same similar functionality for the customer it's again with the difference as you know like this is within the customer's project in this case so what right. happens is that customers one is Heiko automatically puts it in the lowest cost tier that's choice a the choice b is to the point where you say what a lot of some of the customers want to do is put it in the standard tier and then set up the auto-tiering policy, as you know, will pretty much all the cloud vendors right now provide an auto-tiering. And that's one thing we, so we can turn on auto-tiering policy and be able to handle that. So that's, so we can do both. So, and what would, what would you move out if you turned on the auto-tiering? What would you move out? The, again, because, the older files or previous yes. versions? What, yes, okay. older, the previous okay. versions. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what it does. And you're, I'm assuming you're doing a dedupe here? Yes. So one of the, um, 
Yes or no? I'll tell you uh, what we do. Yes or no? We do. <laughs> I'll give you the answer is complicated. Answer. I am absolutely yes. sure. <laughs> yeah. The reason I think is that one of our design philosophies is that cloud, one thing when we looked at cloud, you guys are experts here too, is that cloud storage is really cost effective. But cloud compute and memory is not cost effective, right? Especially if you have to run 24 by 7, things like that for every customer mm -hmm. instance mm -hmm. and things like that it adds up pretty quickly for customers. So one of the things which we ended up doing was, at the time of backup itself, we call it cloud dedupe. I mean, essentially it's a slight variant of dedupe. That's one of the reasons I said that it's, it's in butts there, the thing there, because it's a different approach. At the time of when we put the data itself, we make sure that it's actually uh, only the blocks which have changed, which are there, and not really that we put only one copy of the block in the cloud and all this stuff. That is something we do. So we make sure that the block level deduping happens at the early on, early phase, right at the time of backup. On the client side. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's a client side thing because otherwise, as you guys know, cloud, because the alternative was to run something on the public cloud. And because people said, why can't you run a dedupe on that appliance? We could have done that. But then if you run a dedupe appliance, then you have to run a 24 by 7 to get the data back for the customer and so on. And in our case, we don't have to do that. It's like uh, when you stream it, we can tell you all the blocks spread all over the place and stream it just the data back to you. And that's how we have actually done it. It's a different approach, but the thing is it saves tremendous of money. I mean, like storage and I'm sorry, compute and memory for the customer. They don't have to pay anything extra. So that's... No, I, I totally agree that the compute can... Um quickly add up, especially when you look at the storage costs, right? Yes, you might be storing a lot of data, but at two cents a gigabyte yeah. for a lot of these cloud vendors, right? Then your compute where you might be paying a couple hundred or even a thousand dollars for a yeah, single yeah. instance. And how many instances do you need to be running in order to be able to handle all your data? Exactly. So it definitely makes sense. And I think a lot of people think this cloud is this magical place where everything is super cheap and everything is cost optimized, but it's like, you have to be smart about how you use the cloud. Otherwise, it will bite you. You won't I, be saving any money. It's a great point you mentioned, Prasanna. One of the things which I, I remember sometimes people are surprised when you have multiple regions in the cloud, why can't you sit, uh, put all your backup infrastructure one and backup all the regions together? Sounds nice, <laughs> but do you know that when you move data between regions, there's an egress cost? They said, what do you mean egress cost? Yeah. It's within the cloud, yes, but there's an egress when you reach more regions. Yep. So that's one of the reasons you know, when I tell people, say, you know, ours is, uh, our solution is cloud-aware, they say, what do you mean cloud-aware? I said, the reason is we understand in the cloud there are different regions, and when you move data between regions, there's a cost and all that stuff. That's one of the reasons when Haiku, for example, one of the simple things, when Haiku does a backup in a public cloud, when you want to backup, let's say, uh, one in Singapore and one in Australia, one in uh, East Coast, you know, one in the West, we actually spin up a uh, whatever the preemptable instances just in that region, mm -hmm. just specifically in the region, back it up and then turn it off for the customer. So the customer doesn't pay uh, a regular instance and there's no egress cost or any other stuff. It's a small thing, but to your point, it's a being cloud aware because clouds are nice. Yeah. If you use it wrong, uh, you build it. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's obviously that's been a big part of our story, right, is to, is to make sure you, you know, so um, that, that's interesting. So, so, so like, this is one of the, like, I completely agree with what you're saying and why, mm -hmm. why you were saying it. I guess the one part where I, where I sort of had a, a, but it, you know, when you talked about, you know, cause I've always said, if I'm backing up cloud data specifically, right. So, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm backing up a, a VM 
or a volume or whatever mm -hmm. in AWS or, or Google or whatever. Yeah. Um, I want the backup of that thing to be yeah, in a different use. region. Absolutely. Right. Uh, I want it to be a different region and a different yeah. cost. So I'm, and it sounded like you were arguing against that, but I don't no, I think no, no. maybe okay, I misunderstood you. No, it's a, it's a great question. So what I, what I was telling is that when you have to back up, obviously, like all of us know, there has to be somebody who does the data movement, right? And the question is that where does the data movement happen? Some service has to run. And the question is that what we end up doing is that we're spinning up a preemptable instance right in the region where the data is. But where is the data stored, which is what exactly you're alluding to, uh, Curtis? We've got to make sure mm -hmm. the data is in some other region. So in case the region goes down, you still have access to the data, right? Absolutely. Right. So what we end up telling customers is that we can copy the data to a different region. If that's what you choose, we can do that. But mm -hmm. we generally prefer customers use the multi-regional buckets because for the little extra cost, that's much more cost effective than See, that's the only thing which we end up, at least from our numbers, that seems to be the one recommended. Yeah. But again, well, customers have a choice. There you go again, using Google specific features yeah. that we don't have in <laughs> AWS. <laughs> Damn it. And that's what I mentioned. Yeah. Every cloud is slightly different, but in this case. Yeah. 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 I, I think they have multi-region in, uh, in Azure um, too as well. In Azure, yeah, right? Azure. Just yeah. not yep. in the AWS. quote unquote premier <laughs> leading cloud vendor. <clears throat> um I'm, I'll, I'll get another phone call. I'm sure I'll get another phone call. <laughs> so <laughs> I know I know I've been hearing that they're that they're working on it, but I, I don't know. So my only question would be: so you know, I, I'm always big on you know in this cloud world, mm -hmm. I'm always big on making an air gap as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And the air gap is two things: it's it's mm -hmm. so separating what happened from OVH, mm -hmm. right, or to OVH, and then also separating it from a hacker. So I guess my 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 only question about the multi-region approach, yep. well, I guess you could still put it in a separate account. Absolutely. Right? You can yep. put it in a separate account with a multi-region. You you would know. Is is it cheaper to put the the so you've got an object. Yep. So it sounds like what you're saying is it's cheaper to put that object in a multi-regional bucket. Totally. than it is to copy that same object, like don't store it in my current region, yeah. but store it in another region's yes. bucket. It, yeah. it is cheaper. Yes. All right. All right. Wow. <laughs> there are two things which actually happens uh, there, Curtis. One is um, that way you don't pay egress costs. One is you save on the egress costs. That's number one. Yeah. Number two, what also happens is that at some point you do get into recovery. <laughs> Customers do have to recover the data, and right. and typically the recovery happens within the region most of the time. Right, right. So having a multi-regional thing, you're not paying again an egress cost time of recovery things like that. So, for based on that yeah. thing to your point, that's where it generally makes sense for the customer, at least in the in the clouds we talked about. Right, that's interesting, and also from your perspective, it's also simpler because you know when you yes. do the right, it's already hit the two regions. Exactly, you don't have to worry about reconciling your differences in metadata and all the rest. You're just tracking that one object. That's right. Yeah, that. Yeah. So can, when you specify a multi-regional bucket, what do you specify? Do you specify the regions that it's supposed to be in? So there are two. Essentially, when you, when you create the bucket, it's exactly yeah. That's actually that gives you okay. options, of options there. Yes. Because especially because of GDPR and things like that, which you can actually give you options. There. That's that's kind of cool. That's pretty cool. 
I like that. So, so basically you get a local copy and, and copy in another region That's right. for, is it, is it, what's the cost differential between regular Google cloud and multi-region Google right. cloud? Top of mind, I'm going with top of mind for this point two point two cents versus 2.6 cents. So it's slightly more. Wow. But it is, it's very, it's like 15% more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the benefit is the redundancy, all that stuff. Something goes wrong, you can yeah, you get all redundancy and all that coolness while yeah. still maintaining a local copy. Exactly. That's ah. hey, you know, everyone should you be know, using that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'll be honest, uh, Subai. I, I the the more you know, every time I look at Google Cloud, I've been impressed. Yeah. Um. And and you know, I've been, been impressed. It, it. They were. <laughs> so you know what I said about you? About yeah. you? You know, you're you're you're. <laughs> your business plan seemed like we're going to do the thing that nobody else is doing. The same thing with Google. They're yeah. like, how, how did Amazon do this? What did people not like? Let's, <laughs> let's do something, let's do something different than that. Right. So they don't have the, you know, the access time differences. They yes. have this multi, they did the multi-region uh, uh, object storage. Um, yeah. They got, they're doing a lot of things right. I need to spend more time looking at Google Cloud. But obviously, <laughs> I'm I'm in a I'm in a you know I work at a company where we, for some reason we look at a different vendor quite a bit. <laughs> so for some reason, we look at a, at the other vendor. So you've got this this VM running on their behalf. the The VM is reaching down into their uh, if they're backing up on prem, right? The VM is reaching mm-hmm. down. So. I guess one question is you, you talked about in one part of your product, how you're turning on instances just for a particular backup, which I, I really like that idea, right? That's really cost saving for the customer. What about this, this aspect where you've got a VM that's running essentially 24 by seven when it perhaps it doesn't need to be, is there anything you can do there? And well, and I was also going to ask, where is that VM running? Is that something you're hosting or is yes. that something hosted in the customer account? So well, the project itself is that as part of the Haiku customer base, uh, with the customer subscription, we automatically create an instance and we manage it for them. It's in our project and we pay for it. So okay. the manager instance is running in our project and we pay for the customer. So they, there's nothing customer doesn't pay anything extra. That's what actually happens there. Only when they back up, do we have to spin up certain things in their project because Two reasons we did that. One is customer didn't want the data leaving their project because they were, many of them are worried about uh-huh. uh, us taking anywhere else. So we said, okay, so all the data is always with you. That is one of our philosophies and we try to maintain it that way. So the data is in the customer's project and it moves within the customer's environment, VPCs and things like that. doesn't get out of our So I, I, I guess I'm trying to understand what the purpose is of that VM that you're spinning up over there. It's think of the simple way to think of it is like it's like a data mover. I mean, like it's my okay. I to say that, but I mean that's the think of this as like a data mover, right? Somebody because somebody you know is that because uh, again this is my Google Cloud ignorance coming out again. Is that because Google because like in Amazon we don't have to do that, right? We just tell Amazon, hey, back up this thing to that thing uh, with that, and we can we can do that via APIs. Does Google? Yes not have that or do you need to do more than what the api can provide uh two things i mean like i guess so both i guess we need to do more than what google can do that particular case as well as i told you about what we are trying to do in the client side dedupe that's the other thing okay too, right? okay so, so you're so you're providing dedupe and so you got to do it yeah things. client side dedupe there is no 
production is not touched during the backup. I mean, except for the initial quiet of the application and consistency thing, all the backup happens off the data mover in this particular case. So it's okay. completely production is doesn't even know what's going on. So you kind of take a snapshot of the production, mount That's it to right. your data mover, and then transfer so, it yeah. while doing the deduplication and everything else. That's right. Yes, do you also right. do file indexing in other aspects? Yes, we do that particular one, and as I see that catalog is also there. Absolutely for the customer. So that's that's the reason to your point. We actually have to do something uh, right, in the system. Right, and and what um, what do you support backing up today in that within Google Cloud and Azure? So the things which we, that's a great question. So we actually support their virtual machines, their applications, um, their databases, including SAP HANA, which is, I know, it's, as you know, every cloud vendor is pushing SAP HANA. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we support the SAP HANA, MySQL, Postgres. Those are the usual culprits, uh, databases which people actually have in the public cloud, uh, even including Microsoft SQL, if that's something because some of the customers are running. Those are databases running on their VMs or databases yes. in... Uh, these are databases running on okay. their VMs. And we also support uh, GKE uh, because, as you know, in Kubernetes, one of the, in Google was the inventor of Kubernetes, and obviously uh, GKE is the dominant player there. And it's amazing that pretty much, at least from our experience, 95% of the people are running GKE when they run there because very rarely do they want to run it in, on their own clouds. So... On their own VMs, I should say. Right, and right. And GKE is, is very simple, and that's something we also protect for the customers. By the way, since everybody might not know what GKE is, you want to fill us in? That's a good <laughs> one. That's a good one. So this is the Google Kubernetes engine. Okay. Like Adam Uras, some of you probably know there's an EKE, AKE, GKE, and this is the yeah. Google, Google version of their fully managed Kubernetes uh, service. Do you also support, I know, Curtis, you're talking about what sort of workloads running in the cloud. Do you do any of the SaaS applications, be it Microsoft 365 or Google Workspaces? That's a, a good, good question. So the thing is that we currently actually support uh, the O365 as a fully managed service, like similar to our other services. So this, we actually do a fully managed service for the customer. Uh, that's something we do. Some of the other SaaS, uh, we don't do uh, Workspace yet, but it's absolutely there. One thing I want to go back to, one thing Curtis Aha, asked. For week. once, you didn't start with, for once, you started with the popular one. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. At some point. <laughs> yes. Um, you should have started with Lotus it. Notes. That's what you should have <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> uh, if Lotus Notes was growing, you would have done that, I will tell you. <laughs> Yeah, it's, a, so, it's actually a little surprising. Given your given your affinity for Google Cloud, it's a little surprising that you didn't do Google Workspace first. But I think it is. It is. I think, as you can imagine, it's one of those things which here uh, we do have a lot of customers in the on-prem world. Something there, and yeah. pretty much as you can imagine, this is like by popular customer demand. There, a lot of the all, all the existing on-prem customers, guys, we are moving to cloud, and we are. All, yeah. There's no more exchange here. Everything on the cloud, yeah. we can do. Okay, yeah. and so they all moved to Microsoft 365. Exactly. That's yeah, what yeah. is happening. They, they clearly have. They are clean. They are making some money over there <laughs> with Microsoft totally. 365 for sure. It's amazing the rate at which customers are adopting there. And yeah. the amazing thing is that people started with just originally just a SharePoint or email. Right now, everything yeah. they're trying to move the Teams and uh, yeah. OneDrive and everything yep. going there. Yeah. So, so one thing I wanted to actually go back to the point you were mentioning earlier, uh, Curtis, is that 
What, how do we actually take care of ransomware? Ransomware is one of the big things which customers are paranoid about. I'm sure you guys are hearing all the time. Mm-hmm. Even in the public cloud, there are two sets of thoughts. One set of people thinking in the public cloud, I'm not going to get ransomware. Like, uh, well, they're still, wrong. As long as you... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. They're just wrong. Exactly. It's exactly. going to happen at some point. <laughs> exactly. So like as one of our board members like always say, it's not if, it's like when. Yeah. It's a question yeah, of when exactly. you have yeah. to worry about it. So, that's one of the reasons the way we ended up doing like what you guys were talking is like clearly partitioning it so that there is a different set of uh, projects where your data is stored. So production is even completely production is trash. We have a backup. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Second thing is that making sure there are different credentials and things like that. That way it's like one guy does just because they penetrated one doesn't mean they have the other one. And the third thing which I have to tell people is also that we make sure we support all the worm storage. So if people get it, you just, at least even if your bad actor comes in and does, somebody does, you still have worm and you can keep it for a period of time so you can protect your thing there. So that is something which by default that's there. And I'll tell you a real instance. This is like, uh, this is, I'm just talking the, uh, the different isolations thing there. This is, I'll tell you, this is actually an on-prem customer just to be fully transparent there. One of our on-prem customers uh, got completely trashed in a ransomware. As you could imagine, what happened was on Friday evening, one of the guys clicked on the email, which is not click. They didn't realize. At Sunday night, 10 o'clock, our sales guy gets a call from the CIO saying, Mike, everything is trash. The only thing running is Haiku. Can you actually, it looks like maybe you guys can help us recover. Can you guys do something? Everything is encrypted, right? And the guy, they are asking for, this is like about, when the Bitcoin was 10,000, right now at 40,000 or 30,000, whatever the thing is, it's probably worth about $4 million worth Ugh. right now. And uh, they said, I'm willing to spend a couple of hundred thousand. Can you guys get my data back? This is like this is like nine ten o'clock at Sunday. Oh, no, no problem. Our guys got on a call, helped the customer because it was there. They were able to get the data back without anything. That yeah. was in my mind. I mean, this I'm just picking on one random example. Yeah. But this is like we see this all the time, and half the time, as you guys know, the problem was they just didn't. They left one of the ports open. They didn't do follow some best practices, things like that. Yeah, I'd say almost every ransomware story that I've been able to RDP. poke into, it is always somebody didn't do something right. It, it, it's yeah. it's always like they they didn't they didn't patch this known vulnerability in Microsoft that mm-hmm. was patched a year ago, right? Sorry. Or the you know, and then once once somebody gets infected. There's too way too much RDP within yeah. within people's organizations. Completely unrestricted RDP. Um, totally. You know, it, yeah. If if we would just if we could just turn off RDP <laughs> or segment RDP in some way that you you know a single infection wouldn't result in you know basically what I'm saying is servers should wear masks. That's what I'm saying, <laughs> right? You know, one um, of the things which is we have actually done, uh, Curtis, like. Recently, we just introduced this for some of our customers, and I think we'll broadly do it, is that we realized that, you know, with uh, with ransomware, to protect against ransomware, I mean, the one is that is security guys have to do it, right? At the end of the day, you got to place all the security part. Then the other one, a lot of us in the backup space, one of the things that it's going to happen, when it even whatever checks you do there, things will happen. When it happens, how fast can you recover, right? That's one of the reasons which... And our guys, we were talking, we said, like, what customers, when we were talking to some larger customers, they said, I don't know simple way, how, do, how, am, I, how am I safe? How safe am I, right? I, or in case something goes wrong, can I recover fast? And that's where we came up with what's called ransomware recovery readiness score. Hmm. Long word, ransomware <laughs> recovery readiness score. 
The reason is that the very simple analogy in my mind was it's very similar to the credit score, right? Credit scores, like all of us live and die by credit score and tells you whether you're credit worthy. Same thing here for the customer. Can they actually recover, right? I mean, if something goes wrong, that's the recovery readiness score. And it's a constant thing. It'll change every time because there are a variety of variables, right? In an organization constantly as things are changing, it's going to change. But that's what you got to keep looking at. And you've got to have a high score because that way you know for sure you can recover something there. So, so how do you measure that? Like what are the variables that go into that? There are quite a lot of variables, as you can imagine, as you can actually see. The thing, as you say, you can imagine, right? I mean, the thing goes down to saying, um, are your, how, how, I mean, it starts with all your infrastructure, backup infrastructure, mm-hmm. how's your backup infrastructure, how secure it is. It goes down to saying your backup data, how partitioned it is. I mean, are you setting up the things around your credentials management, what kind mm-hmm. of things do you do, encryption, the worm functionality, there are a bunch of variables. I mean, it's that's one of the odd parts is they cannot say just one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing, as you guys can also imagine, goes back to even the customers, how often are things changing? How many people are they rotating? Because people think it's easy. No, people are at the end of the day sometimes a problem, right? Because <laughs> people move and leave and they change the password and didn't tell anybody, all that stuff. So we track a bunch of uh, this and that's how we do it. It's a little complicated. We're trying to simplify it and yeah. make it easy for people to but. That's, I think it's uh, hopefully do, a simple topic. Do you, oh, go ahead. Oh, just, okay. Is this something that you're automatically uh, deducing from their backup configuration or is this like a questionnaire kind of thing? Uh, it's actually right now it's a two-part uh, thing, right? Some of the stuff information we can gather from the backup data itself, we can actually do that. Some part the customer has to provide it because there are certain processes stuff which we don't have information on. And that's one thing there. But the whole idea is that eventually we'll be able to do it in the solution itself. But, And do you do anything around actually trying out the restores? Like I know as part of the readiness score, it's kind of, oh, it shows you're ready, but then actually when time comes, can they actually recover? Do you do anything? That's one of the things like what they call recovery verification, right? On a constant basis. Can you recover and can you actually make sure there? That is something we automate for customers so that they can test out the recover. They can try different random ones so that we know Mm -hmm. for sure that you're actually being safe there. Gotcha. All right. One of Curtis's favorite topics. What's that? Ransomware? Yeah. No. Backup oh. verification or restore oh, verification. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, you know, I go all the way back and I give credit to Veeam for being the first company to really come out with that idea. And I remember being oh. super excited about it back then. Uh, and, you know, since then, it's like this, this is, this is a feature that needs to be in every product, right? To be able okay. to easily verify that your stuff is recoverable. So, um, well, listen, Subai, uh I think we've kept you long enough. Um, and uh, is, is there anything is there anything we that we didn't talk about that you wanted to cover? Because I know we I know we talked about Kubernetes. You've got Kubernetes support. Oh. So the, the biggest thing I think one of the things which I think uh, some of the companies like you guys work on, you are Drua and us and things like that. One thing I just want people to actually just this is broader general philosophy, general more thing for education for people to. Try to always try to look for a pure SaaS solution versus like a fake SaaS solution. <laughs> Sounds crazy to say that. But there is something I think it's an important thing for customers to actually always constantly look at. I'm sure your listeners are very savvy and they probably know this very well. But this is sometimes people get tripped easily because I'll tell you, recently I've been in some of the usability studies on a constant basically run to make sure how simple can you keep making it better, right? And during the usability right. studies, sometimes you hear comments from customers that are like, hmm, they just didn't realize the true value of a SaaS and what happens. Right. 
Yeah, well, I think that's something I strongly encourage people to look at. Yeah, I push people a lot that that basically, if you're still running the backup server, right? That's not a SaaS solution. I don't care <laughs> what the vendor is telling you. If you're running a Linux box in your in your exactly. uh, v, you know, in your cloud, and yep. you're the one patching it, and you're the one managing it, and you're the one doing exactly. storage management. Yep. That is not a service. That is, it's, 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 it's software. Uh, subscription it's, model. Uh, almost. Yeah, it's subscription models. Purchasing is what it is. And, and, you know, and this isn't just a backup problem. I, I was just thinking the other day that uh, Adobe, you know, yeah. Adobe said that they were going to be 100% a SaaS company by, and they gave like next year or something. And I said, well, that's simply not possible by my definition of SaaS. Unless they're going to move Premiere Pro into the cloud, yeah. right? Which they're not going to because no yeah. one's going to yes. do raw video editing video, in, the cloud. in the cloud. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could do like a minute of it, but, you know, so I'm like, I think what you meant is subscription-based pricing, right? So many people confuse the two issues Absolutely. and they are very, very different. And you touched on one of them and that is that, the backup server automatically gets upgraded to the latest and greatest. That's a really big aspect of SAS. Yeah. So it sounds like we could, we could be members of the mutual admiration society (laughs) for SAS. But But it's important because I think there is a lot of vendors out there trying to kind of jump on that SAS bandwagon, if you will. And if they don't quite have a product that SAS, then their best option is, Hey, we kind of make it look like SAS, but there are certain, downfalls yeah. to that. Approach. I know one so, vendor that doesn't call what they do SaaS, but the URL on their website says SaaS. <laughs> so the so the so the product page doesn't say this is our SaaS offering, but the URL for this for the not SaaS offering says SaaS. I'm like, <laughs> I see you. I know what you're doing. All right. Well well uh, uh Subaya, thanks thanks so Thank much you. for coming on. I appreciate it. Really appreciate it, uh, Curtis and Prasanna for giving me the opportunity. And one thing, I would, last thing I would say, mention is that sometimes people confuse our name. It's HYCU. It's Haiku. <laughs> That's people who want to know that. If you want to check it out, please do check well, it out. Well, it's Thank because you. you named your company after another <laughs> word that is spelled completely different. It's perfectly understandable. <laughs> no, <it's fine. laughs> Just saying. Cool. You did that to yourself. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so thanks, Prasanna, for joining me again. Thanks, Curtis. Nice seeing you again. So it was a pleasure chatting. Same here. <laughs> Thank you, guys. And uh, thanks to the listeners. And make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had chance to fix it instead it's all jacked up see how i'll write on facebook about you don't underestimate the things that i will do there was a file but i deleted it too bad your backup system isn't worth the space
up run Hoping that just for once it'll be completely done Maybe 